Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you. Um, let me just say shout outs. I need to give some shout outs. Uh, I've been here before for those who may be meeting me for the first time. But as Pastor Jim mentioned, my connection to this church through them goes back a long way. And every time I come, uh, I'm able to worship with you. But from afar, looking online, looking on the website, just the things that God is doing in this church family, it blesses my heart. Um, The excellence from the greeters at the door to the tech team to the worship team to the leaders back in the children's ministry that I've seen a few as they've kind of rotated through the service. Uh, It just speaks so well of the gifts that you all have in these two people here as your pastor and his wife, Pastor Jim and Miss Angela. We love them, love them, love them. And uh, Pastor Rick and Paulette, uh, we go way back and just the honor that Pastor Rick has always given me and the love and the big hugs from Paulette, I, you know, just, yeah, she's a good hugger. So, I mean, just the love that I've always felt from these two couples. And there are faces in this room that I know. For, who, who, for those who don't know, this dear lady who's sitting in the front row on this side, Shauna, Shauna was my assistant at Cornerstone. She kept me in check. She, she, she kept me in check, kept me on track. And she was the best person that a pastor could have. And she made sure I drank my water. I made sure she didn't drink too many Mountain Dews. And uh, we go way back. But I love her, love her, love her. And Faith, oh my goodness, girl, good to see you too. All right, so that's all of my introductions and all of that, I think. Oh, I did want to say, you all um, don't take it for granted how well you are led. Don't take it for granted how well you are led by your pastors. God gave you some great pastors. I'm telling you, I know some pastors. I love them, but they're just, you know, got got a lot of work ahead. You all are blessed with some great pastors. Amen. 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 Open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. I'm going to share with you guys a message that I, I truly believe God wanted me to share with you. And the, uh, the previous two services, we, we had a good time, a fun time in the Word. I love, I love preaching and teaching. And I think if you're going to invest your time in coming to church, listening to a preacher and all of that, a teacher, you should enjoy it as, as much as you can. You know, the, the Word of God should engage us with joy. Sometimes there's correction and instruction, but we should have joy. And I want you guys to be uplifted through this, through this message. Mark chapter 8, let's begin looking at verse 36. I'm sorry, verse 31. I'm going to read from verse 31 down to verse 36. The Word of God says, And he, speaking of Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, 
he, speaking of Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Verse 36. For what does it profit a man or woman to gain the whole world and to forfeit or to lose his soul? Just for a few minutes today, I want to talk from the topic, learning how to suffer. Now, before you check out or before you get depressed, this is an uplifting message. Because we are making our way to Easter Sunday, which will be three weeks from today. This time where we celebrate the sacrifice of our Lord's life that he gave for us. And during this season, in some traditions of Christian faith, they call this season, the 40 days leading up to Easter, they call it the season of Lent. And during this season of Lent, we are invited to, to pause and to reflect upon the suffering of Jesus. But we are also invited to enter the journey of suffering with Jesus. This is why during the season of Lent in some Christian traditions, they will fast or pray more or just find ways of slowing down and, and allowing this process of going to Easter and Jesus' suffering to sink in. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about suffering. And what I've discovered is, is that from Old Testament to New Testament, there is a thread that runs through that reminds God's people, whether it's the children of Israel or the church, that we are called to journey with the Messiah, with the Savior who is revealed in the New Testament. We are invited to journey with him because his purpose was to come and to die well, to come, to suffer, and to die, and to be resurrected. And that is what we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday. But before you get to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, you go through all the suffering. Traditionally, Lent focuses on the 40 days where Jesus is in the wilderness, tempted by the, the devil, but also that whole three and a half years of ministry where he preached and worked miracles, but also as we get to the end of his ministry, where we see the fulfillment of his purpose. He suffers. Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, or a letter to Timothy that we have as two books of the Bible. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says something to Timothy that speaks to us today, especially with this message. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, we are to share in the suffering of Christ as good soldiers. Some translation says, endure tribulation as good soldiers. I understand what Paul was saying to Timothy because I served in the military. And I understand the process that a civilian has to go through to become a soldier. And when Paul tells Timothy that we suffer with Christ as soldiers, I understand the difference because you can't suffer with Christ as a civilian. Because when I went into the military, everything changed. All the control that I thought I had as an American citizen, my freedom, my rights, all of that was left on that bus. 
when I got off in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Because in basic training, they broke me down to build me up. They took all of the civilian attitudes and freedoms and rights and said, you have none of it. They told me how my head was going to be cut, my hair, shaven. They told me what clothes I was going to wear. They told me where I was going to sleep, when I was going to sleep, when I was going to wake up, when I was going to eat, how long I had to eat. They were going to make me run more than I had ever ran. They were going to make me walk further than I've ever walked. They were going to make me stronger than I had ever been because they were going to make me feel pain I had never felt. They were going to make me comfortable with living out in the elements, even though I preferred to to live inside of a nice AC room in a bed. They were going to take me away from my support system, my family, and tell me where I was going to be stationed. They were going to condition me to hear gunfire, to shoot rounds downrange. They were going to prepare me for war because the civilian me couldn't do what the army needed me to do. So Paul says to Timothy, we suffer as soldiers, not as civilians. And when we look at Mark's gospel, chapter 8, which we read just a few minutes ago, Mark tells us something that Jesus does that sometimes in church life we forget. Let's look back there. Verse 31, Mark 8. It says, Jesus began to teach them that the son of man must suffer. Did you know that Jesus taught his disciples about suffering? And I love how Mark said he didn't just say something about suffering. You know, like in a sermon on the mount, he would say something and then would never say it again. It said Jesus began to teach his disciples about suffering. How often in churches not just lunch point, but in most churches or TV pastors, do you hear preachers talking about suffering? You probably didn't know that you were going to hear about suffering today. And when you heard or saw that you were going to hear about suffering, you probably were like, ooh, I don't know how this one's going to go. I need a pick pick me up, not a put me down, right? Okay, let me give you some ground rules too. I like interaction. I like a good amen. I like a good praise the Lord. I like a hanky in the air. I like, I like getting up and shouting. That's good, too. If I'm not preaching well, I like a good help him, Jesus, or, 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 or God bless him, you know, oh, bless your heart or whatever. So interact here. Mark tells us that Jesus taught his disciples about suffering. He began here in that verse to teach him. If you're beginning to do something, it means that you have the intentions of coming back around to it or continuing. And that's why in the New Testament, at least in the Gospels, we hear Jesus coming back to this theme of suffering. But he teaches. That Greek word is diasko, and it means to explain something or to cause someone to learn. And this is what Jesus does. Mark even says in verse 32 that Jesus taught about suffering plainly. Some translations say openly. And it simply means that Jesus was very public, very intentional, very bold about teaching his disciples about suffering. If you actually look up that Greek meaning for the word plain, plainly or openly, it means to speak as though something deserves to be remembered. Isn't it interesting that Jesus taught on suffering with the purpose that his disciples would remember it? He came back around to that theme in his 
sermons and teachings and in his ministry because he didn't want them to forget that suffering is part of what comes with being a follower of Christ. Preachers like me, different shapes and colors, different traditions, denominations, we have the tendency of preaching and teaching sermons that's all about the good stuff. You know, having victory in Jesus and having answered prayer and having success in life and in business and, you know, and getting healed. We talk about the good stuff, which we should because it's in the Bible. But do you know that is not all that is in the Bible? Because the Bible tells us stories about men and women of faith, Old Testament heroes, New Testament heroes who live life. And how many of you all know that life is not just that simple, that everything's going to be perfect when you accept Jesus as Lord. But I think we do an injustice as preachers and teachers when we don't talk about the full scope of the Bible. I want someone to tell me that I, I can have victory in Jesus. I want someone to tell me how to get my prayers answered. I want somebody to tell me how I can be successful in my marriage and in business. I want to know those things, but I also want to know what to do when I mess up, when things fall apart, when things are not working right. Tell me that too, because what happens when life happens, if all we've been told about the good stuff and not the challenging stuff, we get disillusioned. We wonder where God is and where is our faith and what's wrong. But Jesus didn't want his disciples to fall into that pit, that trap of thinking that everything was going to be totally perfect. So he taught about suffering. Let me give you a scripture where Jesus comes back around outside of Mark chapter 8. And he's very, very pointed about suffering. In John's gospel, chapter 16, you can write this verse down and go back to it this week. John 16, verse 33, Jesus says these words. The letters are in red. If your Bible has red text when Jesus is speaking, Jesus said, here on earth, you will have many tribulations. Some translations say many trials and sorrows. Let me pause there before I read the second half. Jesus says here on earth, not in heaven, now, Jesus did talk about heaven quite a bit, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But he also talked about the here and now. Because how many of you guys know we are living in this present time frame in the here and now? We're not living on streets of gold or walking on streets of gold. We're not living in a place that has no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. We're not living in that place yet. We're living here. And how many of you all know that down here, it's not as perfect as it is up there. Come on now, stay with me. So Jesus wanted us to know how to live down here. And he said, here on earth, in this world, if you didn't know it, you're going to have some things that are going to test you, that are going to try you. But he goes on to say, but be of good cheer or to take heart, for I have overcome the world. So my sermon today is not to get you all depressed and to make you think, oh, I'm going to look behind my back every time I'm walking because trouble is coming. I will tell you trouble is coming. But take heart, be encouraged, because Jesus has said, I have overcome the world. When Jesus was talking here in Mark chapter 8, we're going back to Mark chapter 8, he didn't just teach his disciples about his suffering. It does tell us that he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer and be 
killed by the priests, the elders, and the scribes, right? He does tell us, but he goes on to tell us in Mark 8, verse 34, about another type of suffering. He says in Mark 8, verse 34, listen to these words, if anyone, anyone includes all of us, it included them, and now it includes us. If anyone, Jesus says, will come after me. That's discipleship. That's being a follower of Christ. If anyone will come after me, Jesus says, let him or her deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There's three requirements to be a follower of Jesus. Did I say three? Sorry, two. I'll come to three. There's another three coming. There's two things that Jesus says we must do if we're going to follow him. The first one, we must deny ourselves. Self-denial. How many of us are experts of telling, our, of telling ourselves no? How many are experts of telling ourselves no? Now, you may be an expert of telling somebody else no. That's easier than telling yourself no. And that's why we sometimes go in the refrigerator and pantry and get stuff that we're not supposed to be eating that much of or at that time. Or we do things or say things that we shouldn't, that we are, are prompted by the Spirit not to do, but we don't control ourselves. Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to be able to tell yourself no and not having me to tell you no all the time. Right? Or other people to tell you no. And what's most important about us being self-controlled or having self-discipline is because what we have to do next. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. Now, isn't it interesting in this passage that he didn't say take up a cross or take up the cross because we're, we're getting ready to celebrate Easter. There was only one person who could hang on that cross, right? There was only one person whose sacrifice was enough to pay for our sins. I couldn't get up on Jesus's cross and for salvation to come to you. You couldn't get up there in Jesus uh, on his cross and bring salvation to me. He was the only one to get up on that cross because that was his cross. But guess what? We're learning here in Mark chapter eight that there is a cross that has your name on it as well, and a cross that has my name on it. And brother and sister, as much as we love Easter and the story of the resurrection and Jesus dying, it's one thing for him to die, but it's another thing for you and me to, to get up on our cross. But there is a cross that each of us will have. The symbol, here's a quote, or a little, little takeaway from today, the symbol of discipleship is the cross. You ever thought about that? The symbol of being a Christ follower or being a Christian is the cross. Now, why is that both beautiful and odd? You know why it's both beautiful and odd? Let me deal with the odd first. There are three purposes for a cross. The Roman Empire chose to use the act of crucifixion to execute its criminals. Jesus was considered a criminal. They chose Crucifixion, and you know why? Because number one, crucifixion provides the opportunity to, to inflict suffering on the criminal. There are methods that we have today that can, that can inflict 
suffering, but we try not to inflict, or we say we try not to inflict suffering when we execute people, right? I mean, we have that kind of that morality where we're like, they may deserve to die, but we're not going to inflict suffering. Well, the, the Romans wanted not only for you to die, which is the second thing that the cross was purposed for. When you were nailed to the cross, it wasn't for you just to suffer, and then after like a half a day, they were going to take you down, and then you can recover. No, when you got up on the cross, the only time you were going to come down is when you were dead, right? But before you died, they wanted you to suffer. And why did they want you to suffer? For the third reason, because you were on public display. When they put the cross up, it wasn't in the backyard. It wasn't in some interior room. They put the cross out where people could walk by and see the criminal. And you know why they did that? Because if anybody else was thinking to do the same thing, they wanted you to know that you were going to get what that person got. That's what the cross was. But the, but, the, but, the, but the beautiful thing about the cross is that God, through Jesus, somehow redeemed this image of death and suffering and public display to one that now we wear as jewelry. We have little things on our car. We have little decorative crosses we put in our home. Now we see the cross and we see victory and glory, but that's not how it started. And because we have glorified the cross so much, we forget that there's still suffering yet to be lived out in our life. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching pretty good now. I'm preaching pretty good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor and theologian, wrote several books. He lived during the time in the 1940s. It's kind of the height of his ministry. During the time in Germany, and you guys know what was happening in the 40s in Germany. The Nazis and Hitler was in power. And during that time, most of the German church acquiesced. They, they cowered down to the government authority. They relaxed some of the standards of the Bible to fit in with the standards of the government. This whole, you know, Jewish thing, this Jewish problem and all of that. The church agreed with that either by condoning it or by not speaking out against it. Because you can do both. You can support something without saying you support it. Right? And sometimes we avoid not speaking out against things because we don't want to suffer. And the church in Germany did not want to suffer. But Diedrich couldn't, Bonhoeffer couldn't agree with that. And he stood up for his faith and told the government that they were wrong. And of course, the Nazis were not very sweet and kind like some governments. And he paid his life for his statement of faith. But before he died, he wrote this quote. He says, when Christ calls, calls a man or a woman, Christ bids him to come and die. When Christ calls a man, when you, when you hear the voice of the Lord speaking in your heart, the Holy Spirit is working on you. When you come to faith, when you accept Jesus as Lord, when God calls you his own and you make that statement of faith, you come to the altar, you enter into the water of baptism, what's really being, being um, uh, done in your life is an invitation not only for salvation in heaven, but it's an invitation of suffering and death. I'm sure the pastor... Well, I'm not sure, but I can be almost certain that the pastor 
or the minister or whomever led you to Christ didn't say a whole lot about, okay, you're going to accept Jesus and heaven is yours. Your sins are going to be forgiven, but you're going to suffer. And your life may be put on, on the chopping block. Maybe I'm almost certain because I didn't get a lot of that myself. And I don't do a lot of that myself when I'm leading someone to Christ. But it's true, right? It is true that when Christ calls a person, he bids him to come and die. But do you know what happens? What happens most of the time is what happens in Mark 8. Because in verse 32, look there with me, Peter does something. Jesus is speaking about suffering, talking about his suffering. He's being plain about it. He's being public about it. And Peter says, Jesus, let me speak to you over here on the side. It says, Peter pulled Jesus aside and he began to rebuke Jesus. Now, we don't use the word rebuke in our vocabulary, vernacular today, vernacular today. But what it means is that he was correcting Jesus. He was telling Jesus, hey, cool it down. This is not how you grow a ministry. Cool it down. This is not, I mean, they're going to take us off of TV and radio and they're going to take our tax exemption away. I mean, this is not how you grow a church, Jesus. Stop it. He rebukes Jesus. How many of us would do that? Now, we would say, I wouldn't do that. I couldn't see myself doing it. I wouldn't have the boldness to do it. But sometimes we do. When God is wanting to do something and is, is creating a little pressure, we, wanna, we want that pressure to be, be relieved. We don't, we don't want it to go that way. We want things to be happy and people to be happy and, and, and the giving to be right and all of that stuff. But, but, but Jesus' response is so profound. Peter is saying, Jesus, cool it, man. Stop talking about suffering. You don't, we don't want you to go through it, and we don't want to go through it because what happens to you is going to happen to us. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. How many of us would want Jesus to say anything about our actions being the actions of Satan? But here's the interesting point. Peter's desire not for Jesus, which was good, a good, probably heartfelt desire for Jesus not to suffer. Peter's desire for the ministry to continue to grow, even though it was well-intended, it was not the will of God. And Jesus says, you're saying this because you care more about the concerns of man than the concerns of God, which tells me that sometimes suffering is something that God allows to happen. Now, I know that's something we don't talk a lot about in church, but isn't it true? We look at our world, an imperfect world that has sin in it, and we know the reason for all the problems is not God, but certainly, right, if we're honest, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, certainly God could stop all the problems, couldn't he? Isn't that right? If an, if an unbeliever, an atheist come to you and it's like, well, if, if God is real, why is there problems and all these things in the world? Isn't that an honest answer? Right. That's an honest question. Question, not answer. Honest question. And so we have to also understand that this is something that we see in the life of Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, it tells us that Paul had a problem in his life. He called it a thorn in his flesh. And he said it was a messenger of Satan who had come to buffet him. He also says this. He says, lest I became conceited because of all the wonderful things God was doing in my life and ministry, 
there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, the theology of that will mess you up because he's saying that I'm doing all these things for God and so that I don't get the big head or think of myself as being superhuman or exempt from challenges because if God brings challenges in my life, I can't do his work, right? He says, so I wouldn't become conceited. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. When we have problems, when we suffer, when we have things that's happening in our lives, do we see it as something that's been given to us as a gift or as a problem? Because what you find here in Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where he's talking about the thorn in his flesh, he says he prays to God three times, asking God to take that thorn in his flesh away. Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what you should do? If you have a problem, what should you do? You should pray about it. But what do you do? What, where is your, what happens to your faith when you pray about it? And either the Lord is silent or he says no. What do you do with that? How many sermons do you hear about? What do you do when your prayers don't get answered or your faith is not working? What, I mean, how many sermons, right? But that's what happens to Paul. God, three times he prays and then God finally says no. I'm not going to take away your problem. Some people say that Paul's problem was maybe a physical ailment. Some people say it could have been a person. Either way, it felt like a thorn in the flesh. Have you ever been pricked by a thorn? Is it, is it, is it something that makes you happy or hurts? It hurts, right? You get a rock in your shoe. You don't want to walk around all day with a rock in your shoe. And so Paul says, Lord, take it away. And the Lord says, I'm not going to take it away because in your weakness, my grace is made strong. In your weakness, my grace is made strong. Now, I love God, but I don't want to hear that when I'm, when I'm asking God to take away a problem. Do you? I mean, we can get super spiritual and say, well, I just trust God. I, I struggle in my faith sometimes, and I'm a preacher. But when I pray and God says no, or at least not yet, how am I supposed to respond? God tells Paul, my grace is sufficient, Paul, because I'm working something in you through this. Paul, in that passage, his, his attitude changes. And he says, Lord, whatever you want to do, when I am weak, you are strong. So, Lord, if, if it requires for me to have a thorn in my flesh so that your grace can be seen in my life, because remember, our suffering is not just something to, 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 to hurt us but it's also a witness for God. That's why we hang on the cross. That's why suffering happens sometimes. Do you know, even your blessings are not always about you. I see you, brother. Good to see you. Good to see you, man. Your, your blessings and your sufferings have not always only you in mind. Sometimes God will ask us to suffer because there's a witness that's needed. He goes on to say, Paul later in his ministry. Look with me to Philippians chapter 3. I'm almost done, guys. Now pray that you're getting something out of this message. Philippians chapter 3. Would you look there with me? The, the scripture will be on the screen as well. Now, if you compare Philippians chapter 3 to the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul, I think I may have said 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's actually 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul is talking about the thorn in his flesh. You can see the change in Paul's attitude about suffering. 
you can see how he has matured in his attitude about what this Christian life is really about. Because here in Philippians chapter 3, let's look at verses 7 through verse 10. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, But whatever I had gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that what? Depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Easter is coming, guys. Easter is coming. And we're going to celebrate that risen lamb of Judah, right? We're going to celebrate that man who comes out of the grave, even with the marks of those nail prints in his hands and in his feet. We're going to celebrate that. But as we're celebrating, remember that Jesus is saying, you're coming too. You're coming and you're walking with me. And there's a cross waiting for you. And Jesus is teaching us today like he taught his disciples that when that time came for them, in their, in their lives where they had to either say, yes, I believe in Jesus and die or no, I don't believe in Jesus and live. And they didn't get it perfect, right? They didn't get it perfect. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. But somewhere along the way, they matured. Some did, some didn't. And we find here that Paul is saying, that I counted all loss because I want to know Christ and to know his resurrection and suffering. Can I tell you, there are some things about Jesus that you won't know, you won't discover until you go through some things. There's some grace that you want, you will not know how to explain until you've gone through a situation where you needed that type of grace. There's some challenges in your life where God will show up and show out that you will never experience him being a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the dark. You know that song? You want, you've, got, you've got to be in the darkness. You need a way. You need to be stuck and you need a way maker. You need, you, when, you, when you need a miracle, that's when you learn that he's a miracle worker. I'm, I'm preaching good. You know, we sing that song, but the only way we really can, can testify of that song is that you have needed God to make a way, and he has. You've needed him to heal you, and he has. There's something that you learn about Jesus when you experience him in your suffering. And I was that way, preaching a long time, pastoring a long time. And then I got diagnosed with colon cancer. February of last year, had surgery. And can I tell you, there's something about knowing God when you're walking with someone who has cancer or a problem and they're going through their journey, you're praying with them, believing with them. It's, it's one thing to be a pastor to them in that situation, but it's different when your name shows up on the report and they're saying you have colon cancer. Where do you go from there? How, how do you process that? And I discovered that theory is one thing. Practical application is another. Right? And I'm not saying that we can't speak into things that we've never personally experienced, but when you experience it, it changes you. 
I pray differently. I, 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 I walk with people differently because I know the fear. I don't, I don't judge people as, as, as strictly as I used to regarding their faith or their trust and all of that. Because let me tell you, you can love God and be going to heaven and your faith can be shaken. And you can struggle with where is God and does God still exist and does, does, does he know that I'm here? Does he love me? You can, you can have those struggles and still love God. And what we have to remember is that that is not an indictment on who we are because we face these things. And that is why I believe Jesus taught his disciples that when these things were going to come, it would not have shaken them where they had nothing to stand upon. Last scripture that I want to share with you is coming from James chapter 9. James chapter 1. And James here, the brother of Jesus, uh, writes these words and he tells us how. how. How do we go through suffering? How are we supposed to, as believers, go through suffering? Listen to what James says. James chapter 1, verses 2 through verse 4. James says here, count it all joy, my brothers. So he's talking to believers. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Who does that? I mean, it sounds good, but who does that? I don't do that. When I got my report that they found cancer and they needed to go in and do surgery to take the cancer out, I didn't say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you for cancer, God. I didn't, I didn't, how do you do that? Isn't that a good question? James says that we are to count it all joy when we face all kinds of trials. If that's all James would have said, we would have said, I can't do it. You're crazy. You're probably saying that because you live with Jesus. You grew up with him. You, you know, he was your brother. You know, you got the connection. You got the hookup. You know, if you ask, he, well, he certainly, you're his brother. He's not going to let you go through any trouble. I mean, we could say, because sometimes we feel that way, right? Some people are spiritual super spiritual and get answers from God. And then this, then there's us, you know, some people are exempt from problems and then there's us. But James says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet various kinds of trials. And this is how we can do that. Verse three, he says, for, you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I used to hate it when my Elders, my, my older family members, and then uh, uh, church members used to say, you know, I know that I know that God is good. I, you know, I know, I know that God is good. I tried him for myself. You know, you would hear this, this, this whole thing about, you know, I, I, I've seen him do it for me. And you're like, okay, what are you talking about? But you know, you live a little bit. You live a little bit and you realize that life has a has a way, if you allow it, of blessing you with some knowledge that the 20-year-old, 18-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old you didn't quite know. You know, gray hair or the loss of hair is not just a proof of old age, or it shouldn't be. It should be proof that you've lived some life. You've got some tread missing from your tires. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It should have taught you something that helps you today to have a greater sense of faith or appreciation of faith and of God than before. And so James says, 
you know. You're able to count it all joy because of what you know. He goes on to say in verse 4, and let your steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. If we never suffered, never were invited to suffer with Christ, there would be so much we would be missing, so much of Jesus and God that we wouldn't have experienced and to be able to share with others when they're going through what they're going through. Because life is not just about us. It is about us, but it's not just about us. And sometimes the invitation to both live on top of the mountain and to travel through the valley is an assignment that God will give to us. And I pray that as we are taking the next three weeks, uh, making our way to Resurrection Sunday, that we will have a different outlook on maybe the present suffering or trials or challenging things in your life. Maybe during these three weeks, we can find space to say, Lord, show me the real reason for this. I, I don't like it. It hurts. It's painful. Please take it away. But if you're not going to take it away, can you please show me why? Why am I facing this? And can you show me how you can get glory out of it? 